Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. I don't know if you, if you know this, that uh, an adult salmon will swim hundreds if not thousands of miles out of the ocean, up rivers, into small streams to go back to the exact spot that they were hatched. It's a pretty amazing thing. When a salmon is, is hatched in a small stream and then they leave and, and make their way thousands of miles away, there's something in them that they return all the way back to where it all started. And you might say, well, what's the point? I think all of us at some level have that. All of us have a longing for home. All of us are a bit homesick. And so that's what this series is about as we're coming to a close today. This series that we've entitled Homesick, and it's really a story of two brothers. And we've, we've really taken a look at the story of the prodigal son, and we've looked at it just a little bit differently. And we looked at uh, each and every week from a different character. In week number one, we looked at uh, the rebellious son, who he, he goes away and spends everything and he finds himself being homesick and makes his way back. The older brother last week, Nick, did a great job talking about him. He stayed at home, but he was homesick there as well. And what, what, what we're finding out is home is not a place. We think it is. Home's not a place. Home's always been a person. And we're all homesick. And so today, we're going to really see the cure for homesickness. And we're going to see a couple gifts in this story as we take a look at it. really the central figure in the story of the prodigal son. The central figure in the, in the story of the prodigal son is not the rebellious younger brother. It's not the legalistic older brother. It's the father. And who he is and what he is like is what we need to know more than anything else. So if you have your Bible, let, let's turn there to Luke chapter 15. And we'll pick up in verse 20. If you're here today and you'd say, man, I, I've been in church my whole life and I know this story in and out. Well, I'm glad you're here. I, I just wonder if God wouldn't show you something else today that you need to hear that would be a cure in many ways, a help for the homesickness that oftentimes we feel. Because if we don't deal with our homesickness or if we deal with it in the wrong way, it can have really some negative consequences in our life. So let, let, let's pick up the story in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 20. Uh, we pick up the story with the younger son having asked his father for the inheritance, receiving the money, going and spending all the money in a distant land in rebellious living. Now he's homesick, he's destitute, he's without anything, and he just wants to go home. So he's making his way back like that salmon in the stream heading back home. Verse 20 says, so he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and his father was filled with compassion for him and he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Now you may know some guys like the younger brother, you may know some folks like the older brother. But we don't know anybody like the Father. And we need to know him more. Understand his nature. And so when this boy who has lived so rebelliously, I mean, can you just get this in your mind? Here's a guy who said, Dad, I wish you were dead. 
but it doesn't seem like you're going to die anytime soon, so why don't you just go ahead and just give me what's coming to me so I can go and get this show on the road. And he takes that money and he just recklessly spends it. And now he's coming back home destitute. And what is his father doing? His father sees him from a long way off. Why does he see him from a long way off? Because he's doing what? He's looking for that boy. And when he sees that boy, he runs to him. In a show of humility, you didn't do that. As a first century Jewish man, man, you didn't run in public. That was a humiliating thing. You'd have to, you'd have to just pull up your robe and ex- expose those knobby little knees and, and take off in public in a show of shame. But he doesn't care because of his love for that boy. It's painting a picture of how our father loves us. Now, he gives him three gifts, and it's all we're going to talk about today. But, but I, I can make the case if you understood the ramifications of the gift that this father is giving this son, and by the way, these are gifts that have come to you at salvation, if you could understand the ramifications of these three gifts, it would change everything in your life. I promise you that. Verse 21, the son says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, in your Bible, you just might, might want to write repentance and, and faith. He's turning away from his old way of life. He's confessing his sin to his God and to his Father, and he's coming home. And this triggers, this triggers the change. Now, I want you to understand this because this can always happen. It's a tension that I feel when I'm speaking because some of you that are watching online, some of you that are here, folks at Buchanan, different people watching, everybody's at a different place. Some of you are followers of Christ, have a relationship with Jesus. Some of you are just open to that. Some of you may be confused about that. Here's what I want to say. Salvation is available. We say that all the time around here. Salvation is available for everyone, but salvation is not automatic, right? And you see this this boy confessing his sin, repenting of his sin, and trusting his father. And watch what the the father does. The boy comes back and says, hey, just make me one of your servants. Just just put me on the JV. If I could just be here and just be on the JV and and put me on probation. I need to be on probation. Put me on probation. Just, Just make me one of your servants. And the father says this. Watch. He says, quick. I love that. I underline that in my Bible. Quick. Because the Lord doesn't want you and me to stay in this place of just beating ourselves up, just living with these false beliefs and just having all this negative thought about ourselves, and just, and just staying in this difficult and dark place. He says, quick, quick, quick to his servants, bring the best robe. And let's put it on him. Bring the ring and put it on him. And bring the sandals and let's put it on this boy. Let's stop there. That's enough for today. Because I think if you understand these three gifts that are yours if you are in Christ or could be yours if you would come to faith in Christ, it could be a rule changer. Here's the first gift. The father brings the boy in and he puts a robe on him. Now, I want to show you something. Look back at verse 22 that's so important. Look back at verse 22. First of all, we have a robe over here. We got it off of Amazon this week. I think it was $40, but it's nice. I'm going to be honest with you about robes. I'm getting one for Christmas this year, not because of this series, but I already told Amy. You know, I, I'm one of those guys, I'm, I'm in early on my Christmas gift. I want a robe. I want a nice robe. Because I don't know about you, you guys are looking at me weird, but when you put a nice robe on, you feel like a boss, don't you? You come down the steps and you grab your coffee and you're like, deal with this. Right? 
I'm one of those guys, when I go to, you ever go to a, like a conference or something and you stay at a nice hotel, you, ever, you know, and they've got robes and that, you ever stay at a hotel like that, it's got that nice ro- robe, I'm the dude who puts that on, I know people told me Thursday night, that's so weird, whatever, I mean, I got gym shorts and a t-shirt on, so don't, I mean, it's just whatever, but I put it on, Amy's like, that is so weird, I don't care, I'm a robe guy, because you don't, you don't wear a robe, a robe wears you, doesn't it, I mean, it does, man. It just, it just feels good, especially if you're a little portly. I mean, you know, it, it, just, it just covers you. But the father says something. I want you to notice something. The father says, bring the best robe. Who would have had the best robe? Here's my mom, I can't hear you. Father would have had the best robe. In fact, he's saying... Bring him my robe. This is big. This is a big thing. We're going to break it down. Here's, here's what you need to know about your father. He longs to cover you. He longs to cover you. From your shame and from your past and from your failures. He's a God who longs to cover you. Isaiah 61 verse 10. Look at this verse. This is so good. So good. And I want to make a point that if you get nothing else, I want you to get this. The prophet Isaiah says, I delight greatly in the Lord. Why does Isaiah delight greatly in the Lord? He's about to tell you. My soul rejoices in my God. And you're like, get to the point, Isaiah. What are you so excited about? Tell us. For he has clothed me in garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of, watch the pronoun, whose righteousness? His righteousness. Can I tell you something today? Some of you know this and need to be reminded of it. Some of you maybe not. The moment that you put faith and trust in Christ as Savior and Lord, there is something that happens. You trade in your unrighteousness for the very righteousness of Christ Jesus himself. Do you see it? Now, let, let, let's be, let's be I, I have taught this principle for years, and I'm looking at you as you're looking at me. Most people in the church don't believe that. Most people are not willing to believe that. That's why Isaiah is so excited because he understands he has, God, you have arrayed me in a robe of your righteousness. So I'm standing here today. Listen, if you're in Christ, you're here today and God doesn't see your unrighteousness. He sees the righteousness of his son. Is that liberating? Yeah, it is. And it's, it's, it's grace. It's, it's, it's the gospel. It's too, too good to, to be true because we know our past. And Ray Moss, who heads our biblical counseling, encourager ministry, he said this this week. It's so important. He said, all my life I've heard people say this, people preaching on this. They've said, you know what? It's, it's as if now if, if when you're in Christ that God sees you, sees you through the lens of the righteousness of your son. God doesn't just see you through that lens. That is who you are. You bear the righteousness of Jesus Christ as you've surrendered to relationship with with him. Isn't that an amazing thing? So every time from now on, you see a robe. You are reminded of something. The robe reminds us of what? That our sin is replaced with Christ's righteousness. The robe that was given to the boy, and he is walking back from the pigsty. You can smell him 50 yards away. I mean, he's covered in his past and filth from his past. And his father quickly covers him with whose robe? His robe. This is a picture not of just forgiveness. This isn't forgiveness. This is full restoration. 
right? Because I, I want to ask you this. Nobody responded in the first service, so I'm hoping for better things from you guys. Have you ever had somebody say, after you've made a mistake against them, you ever had anybody say to you, I forgive you, but you can just tell they don't ever restore you. You're always kind of like, you know, kind of left to the side. I mean, the relationship's not the same. I mean, they don't talk to you like they did before, and there's not that closeness. Even though they said, you know what, yeah, I forgive you, but you're just on the sidelines with them relationally. You ever, you ever had anything like that? This is not a story of merely forgiveness, which is a great thing, but it is full restoration. I, I think it's so hard for us because we've never been loved like that. Some people have forgive, forgiven us, but they always keep us on the sidelines. We're always sort of JV with them relationally. We're always kind of on probation to see how we're going to do. We've never had anyone fully cover us with, like the Lord's covered us. The robe says we're not just forgiven, but the robe says we're restored. Now, let, let's think about this just a little bit. What I'm about to say is so important, and I want you to hang with me. Life's most foundational truth. Let me say this to you again. Life's most foundational truth is also the most difficult truth to embrace. And you know what it is? That God loves you. God loves you like this father loves this rebellious boy. Now, when I say foundational truth, what's the first song you learned to sing when you grew up in church? If you grew up in church, what's the first song you learned to sing? Help me. Jesus, Jesus loves me. This I know. The problem is we don't know that. Because no one's ever loved us like that. We don't love ourselves. We think about our sin. We, we might even be willing to think that, yeah, Jesus loves me because he has to, but he doesn't like me. We don't see ourselves this way, covered in the righteousness of Christ, being fully embraced and fully restored. Now, if you don't see that, and most people don't, I'll hear people say, it's so hard for me to believe that God loves me. So what we do, and this is a stretch here, and you're going to have to hang here with me, is we begin to move to find that need to be loved and to be accepted in relationships with other people. Now, what I'm about to say, please listen, because you're going to text me and email me and be mad. These relationships aren't bad. Being married, nothing, nothing, that's a good thing. Having, having relationships with other people is a good thing. Our desire for healthy human relationships are good, they're just not ultimate. Do you understand that? Our desire for healthy human relationships are good. They're just not ultimate. Amy, Amy has said this. She said, you know what, as a little girl, I used to always dream uh, and, and think about getting married. She said, then, then, then I married you. And I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> you know, this, I'm sorry, guys just got engaged. That was not a good story for you. I'm saying these relationships are good and they're healthy, but here's the point. They're just not ultimate because we all are less than the Father. And the true longing, what causes us to be homesick, is this longing for a person. But we, we don't really believe that he loves us this way. In fact, one of the greatest theologians in the history of the church was Martin Luther. How many of you, when I say that name, maybe you don't know a lot about church history, but you understand the name Martin Luther, and you would say, you know what, this is a heavyweight as far as Christianity. Listen to what Martin Luther said about this. He said, if I could believe that God was not angry with me, I'd stand on my head for joy. Now, I share that quote with you to say what Luther was wrestling with, so many people in the church wrestle with, is life's most foundational truth. God loves us is also the most difficult truth to embrace. Why? 
Well, there's a ton of reasons for that. I think the number one reason is, is Satan's primary task, and you have this in your notes, Satan's primary task is to cloud our image of God. The work that Satan is up to in your life is to cloud your image of the nature of God and what God thinks about you because he knows this. The enemy knows if you understood how much you were loved, it would change everything about you. Now, again, what I'm about to say next can be misunderstood and, and, and can really upset some people. So please, would you offer me some grace and try to hear this in its entirety? Everybody I know, myself included, we have a history of broken relationships with other people, don't we? Some worse than others. I'm, I'm thankful today that uh, I, have a, I have a great relationship with my, with my dad and I realize that for many men inside this room today, that's not, I didn't say a perfect relationship with my dad, but a great relationship with my dad. But that's not the story of a lot of dudes in this room because your dad walked on you when you were an eight-year-old little boy and you haven't been able to forgive him or forget that and it marked you and it impacted you. And listen, that is real and devastating pain and I am not minimizing that. I, f I feel for you. I hate that some of you, as, as, as ladies here, your mom, you've been performing for her all your life, but you just could never measure up because every time you see her, that you just want her to tell you how proud she is of you as, as, as her little girl, but she just cannot bring herself to do it, and, and you've never really received that kind of love and that kind of acceptance for her, and it has just driven you crazy, and that's why when you, when you go to counseling, which we believe in it here, we, we have so many biblical counselors and encouragers, and I've gone through counseling, so I'm a proponent, but what, what most of the time when we sit down for that first session, what, what what someone wants to say is, tell me about your family relationships. And that makes sense to me, right? Tell me about your relationship with your dad. Tell me about your relationship with your mom because they're seeing that broken relationship that needs to be restored. And I understand that. I understand that. But here's an option for you. You can live the rest of your life in regret of all the broken relationships you have. Or you can begin to live your life in the growing reality of your ultimate relationship, of how much God loves you. I'm not saying the former isn't important, it is. I'm just saying the latter will produce the greatest dividends in your life. That's what these boys didn't know. They didn't know who their dad was and what he wanted to do to cover them. Number two, the second gift is the ring. Now, what about rings? The father gives him the robe, and the robe says, I'm covering you in my righteousness. That's pretty good, isn't it? I, I, that could be enough for today, right? If we could fully understand that, I mean, that could change everything. I don't see myself through my sin and my mistakes and my past today. I realize that I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and that has been the most liberating thing for me to know as a human being. i got to be honest with you about that. But then he, he not only gives him a robe, he gives him a ring. Now, what's the deal with the ring? Like, I have, a, I, have a, I have a wedding ring on. Rings cause remembrance. Like I look down at this ring and I remember that I've committed my life to the Lord and to my wife. Rings cause remembrance. I have a, a class ring here. It's not mine because my dad didn't let me get a class ring. That's why I told you I have a good relationship with my dad, not a, pass, a perfect one. I never got a yearbook or a class ring. He said, you don't need them, boy. I did. I couldn't have them. I have my father-in-law's class ring. Uh, he's 
gone to be with the Lord. And my wife, it's one of her, her, her fondest memories. She has her dad's class ring. He, he used to always wear this ring, and it, it's a class ring. It says FSU on it. So people are like, you graduated from FSU? He's like, yeah. Did you play ball there? He said, sure did. <laughs> what position? I played quarterback. Like, wow, you played quarterback at FSU? Yeah, yeah, sure did. Now, what people don't know is he went to Florence State University, <laughs> not Florida State, and he was a quarterback of the BSU intramural football team. But he wasn't dishonest. It wasn't just full disclosure. <laughs> like, wow, man, Bobby Bowden. No, no, it's Florence State. It's now University of North Alabama, for those of you who are wondering. But anyways, his class ring. It's a reminder of, of, of past accomplishments. But for this boy, when his dad gave him this ring, what did it mean? Well, in that culture, it was a signet ring. It said, you're, you're back in the family. You're not just forgiven. You're, you have authority. You've got the family authority. You're, you're, you're not a servant. You're a son. You see, servants didn't have the signet ring. And so a signet ring, when you went into town in the first century, I mean, they couldn't pull up on a computer and do a background check on you. They couldn't do a credit check on you in that first century culture. You just flashed this, and they said, oh, I know, I know your dad. I know what you guys own. I know how much land you guys have got. You're good. We'll do business. It was about authority. He says, you've been given the authority. Now, let me tell you something. I think the vast majority of folks in the church today have no idea. They're in Christ. They have no idea that they've been given a ring and what that means and how it can affect their life on a daily basis. But it has massive implications. When you came to faith in Christ, you received a ring. And what does that mean? ring mean? That you're forgiven and you're restored. It, it, it means it's a reminder of the Father's authority that is now yours in Christ. The ring is a reminder of the Father's authority that is now yours in Christ. Now, let, 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 this is hard. This is difficult. But let, let me talk to you about it. There is a difference between power and authority. Does that make sense? This is complicated. There's a difference between power and authority. Now, let's think about, let, let me illustrate it uh, through football. Because uh, you watched college football yesterday. You'll watch NFL. Some of you are watching NFL football today. Now, the players that are on those fields today, playing for the Tennessee Titans or the Atlanta Falcons, there will be guys that are six foot four, 250 pounds, and they will run like a deer. They have power. Would you agree with that? That dude has power. But who has the authority on that football field? Somebody said coaches? Referees. It's the overweight, bald guys in stripes <laughs> that have authority, right? I mean, that's the truth of the matter, right? Because what they will say is it will happen sometime in some game today. Some powerful dude will go in to make a tackle. He will lead with his helmet. He'll hit another guy in the head. They'll look at it on the monitors. And, 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 and here we will we'll see an, an older guy who will come out and say, number 54 is now disqualified. And this powerful dude will drop his head and he will walk off that field and he will not reenter. And it's the difference between power and authority. You see, here's the difference. Power can affect us. And here's the point spiritually. Does the enemy have power? I'm asking a question. You better believe he has power. The Bible says he is the father of lies. And he can control you with those lies. But let me tell you something. Authority is all about the final word. And when this boy was given the ring, he says, you've been given the authority. And let me tell you something today. If you're in Christ, you've been given a ring. It is the authority of a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And so how are you going to use that, leverage that in your life? Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. We're going to build on this principle because this is so good. Listen, you can be in Christ... And never know the authority that you have in Christ 
I want to be honest, I think that's how the vast majority of the church of Jesus Christ lives today. They're in Christ, they just don't know the authority they have in Christ, so they have no joy in their salvation, they have no victory in sin, they live defeated and frustrated lives spiritually, right? Colossians 2.15, here's the context of Colossians 2.15. Paul is talking about what was accomplished in the crucifixion and resurrection event of Jesus Christ. Watch this, Colossians 2.15. After Jesus accomplished this, was crucified, resurrected, and having disarmed the powers and the authorities, that's the power and the authority that the enemy has, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, what did Paul say? He says, having disarmed the powers and the authorities. How did he do that? Now, watch this. The power and the authority of the enemy as it related to Jesus turned the crowd in the first century, over 2,000 years ago, turned the religious crowd and, and made them believe Jesus was a threat instead of their salvation, right? And so they yelled, crucified, crucified. And so the enemy thinks, you know what? He exerted his power, and so he had won a victory. But authority, if you have the authority, you always have the last word. So even in that, even being twisted by these false beliefs, they sent Jesus to the cross, but as he goes to the cross, this has been God's plan all along. He is paying our sin debt in full, the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, everything in Scripture is pointing to this, and he pays this in full. And then he rises from the dead, defeating sin and death and making a public spectacle of the enemy. So he disarms the enemy and says, now this is authority. And this is yours. This is the final word. Let's summarize it this way. On the cross, Jesus deactivated, dismantled, and disarmed Satan's rule over sin and death. Tony Evans says it this way. This is a great statement. Watch this. He says, Satan has no authority or power over the one who is aligned under the covering of the risen and exalted Christ. Now, can we be as believers outside of alignment with the living God? Sure we can. We can be walking in disobedience. And so that's one of the things that's so dangerous about disobedience is we're walking in, a, in an area outside the will of God and outside of his authority, outside of his protection for you so the enemy can, can, can wreak havoc in your life. But listen, Satan has no authority. Listen to me in the balcony. He has no authority or power over you because Jesus has defeated sin and death and the ring is a reminder of God's authority in your life. In other words, the final word. The final word about what? Listen. The final word about your identity. Who are you? Well, you know what? I feel like a failure. I feel more like a slave than a son. And Jesus says this in the scripture. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. That's the final word over you. Well, my activity I feel like all these mistakes that I've made in my past renders me in a place that I could never, never be loved and I could never walk in victory. That's not the final word about you. You see, the circumstances in your life, the failures in your life, all those things, what are you going to believe? Are you going to believe what the enemy says about you in the midst of all that? Or are you going to let Jesus have the final word in your life? That is the key to freedom, is letting Jesus have the final word in your life. If you're in a, a difficult situation and you think it's a dead-end situation right now, can I tell you what? If it's a bad situation, if you're a believer, it is not the end. 
And you say, well, how do I know that? Because I know what Jesus says about the end. In the end, he's going to restore all things, and it's going to be good. Let him have the final word in the midst of your life, and you will begin to walk in freedom like never, never before. Let's look at the third and final thing. And these things all go together. He gave that boy a robe. You have the Father's righteousness. He gave that boy a ring. You have my authority. You have, you have the ability to begin to walk in freedom, overcome the enemy. Let me be the final word over you, not what you believe about yourself or what others have said about you all your life. And then finally, he gave that boy shoes, sandals for his feet. Sandals of freedom. These either are are yours if you're in Christ or they could be yours. What was shoelessness? Shoelessness was a sign of, of poverty, of slavery. You didn't give a slave shoes. You gave that to a son. It was a gift of extravagance. Daniel, who leads us in worship, was saying this week as a boy growing up and just a middle class family, he said every year when school would start, his mom would take him to the nicest shoe shop in town and buy him an expensive pair of shoes. She would always feel around on their toes and make them walk to see if it, if it fit good, if this was right. And he thought, man, why in the world, was, why in the world is mom so serious about this? Why, why do we always, always, always do this? And, and then finally his mom said, you know, when I was a little girl, it was always hand-me-down shoes. I always had holes in them already, and they were already torn up when I got them. And I just want my boys to have new shoes just to remind you how much I love you. You know, shoes says you're cared for. The father's gift of shoes to this boy was a gift of freedom. And it's what Jesus wants for you, freedom. Galatians 5.1, great verse. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then. Put your shoes on and don't let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Free from what? I'm beginning to understand what that robe means. I'm covered in his righteousness. I'm starting to understand a little bit more of what this ring means. I want the Lord, I, I want to have his final word over me, not my word or your word over me, his word over me. But what do these mean? It means that I could live in a level of freedom that I've never lived in before. Any of you spent a portion of the last week worrying Worrying about health concerns, worrying about financial concerns, worrying about your children. Anybody spend time worrying? The sandal said, you can be free from that. I've got you. Performance, any of you grow up trying to perform for God's love? Anybody thought, you know what, if I have a good day, God loves me more. If I have a bad day, God loves me less. Can I tell you something about him? He couldn't love you any more than he does right now. You're free from performing for him. He is your dad. He loves you. Just love him back in a response to that. You're free from a treadmill of Christianity that has always been a joke. Legalism, it's always been a joke. It's what the older brother didn't understand. You're free from that. You're free from past if I could picture your life right now you're standing barefoot among shards of glass the mistakes of your past and you're stuck because it's too painful to move until he hands you shoes 
and says, you're free. You're free to walk from that painful past because I have absorbed the pain. You're free from shame. Because think about it, in this story, wasn't it shameful? I mean, what the boy did, wasn't it shameful? The answer is yes, I'm running out of time. Yeah. The father absorbs the shame. Comparison. Anybody stuck with the weightiness of comparison? I'd ask you to raise your hand, but you'd be too quick looking around to see who else is raising their hand. Because if she doesn't raise your hand, you can't raise your hand. You're free. I don't have to be like you and you don't have to be like me. I'm free to be who God created me to be. You're free to be who God created you to be. You can be free from comparison. Isn't that amazing? Man, Thursday night, one of the guys in the worship band said, I almost wore that same shirt. That would have been terrible if I would wore the same shirt. I'm like, no, that would be cool for me as a guy. If, like somebody else wears something I'm wearing, I feel like must be on the right track with that, you know? <laughs> free. Free to obey. Because prior to these shoes, we were dead in our sin. We were stuck in our sin. But now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the righteousness that we have in Christ that allows us to see ourselves totally different, because if you see, here's the thing, if you begin, this is what the enemy doesn't want you to know. If you begin to see yourself as righteous as Jesus Christ, you'll begin to live that out through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you see yourself always in a defeated place, you'll begin to just go right back into those places of defeat in your life. That's just the way the game's played. But you're free to obey. 1978, I got my first pair of Nike tennis shoes, the Nike Cortezes. Quit laughing. You had them, some of you. <laughs> those things were awesome, man. I never forget them. Aren't they sharp? Like, man, those were the deal. In 1978, they were sharp. Those things were awesome. And when you got a pair of these shoes, anybody remember? Man, you were careful where you walked. Like, you're not getting these things dirty, you know? I mean... Back in the day, I, I, I don't call child services on my dad. My dad made me cut the grass with a push mower. Yeah, nobody does that anymore. And uh, it was my day to cut the grass. I tell you what shoes I, I wasn't wearing. I wasn't wearing the Cortezes to cut the grass. You're not getting those things messed up. Because you get new shoes, it changes the way you walk, doesn't it? I'm not walking back into that old junk. I got new shoes. My dad's giving me some new shoes. I'm going to new places with him. I'm not, I'm not getting those messed up. I'm saving those for the mall on Friday night. That's where I'm wearing those things, right? Some of you have no idea. That's what we used to do. We used to walk around the mall on Friday night. It's a great time. It's called the 80s. <laughs> hey, new shoes always changes the way we walk. You know the other thing shoes will do? They give us access. They give us freedom. Anybody on our staff knows this. If I'm in a meeting with them and there's three people that if they call me, I'm taking the call. My boys, my wife, I got two boys. When they call me, I'm taking the call. Why? Because my boys have access to me. I wish they'd call me more than they did, but that's a whole other sermon. <laughs> May I tell you something about these shoes? They have given you access. Access to the Father. Because of what he has done and what he's given you, he's covered you. He's given you a robe. He's given you a ring. He's given you sandals. And you can approach him. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, not with our head down, but with our head up. Well, how can I do that? Because my robe's on, my ring's on, and my shoes are on. And this is who he's created me to be. 
Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And isn't that what you need more than anything else in your life? He's given us everything we need to keep running into his presence. What I'm about to share is embarrassing. I'm willing to share it with you to close this series out because I hope it will help you. But the truth about me is I have spent most of my life trying to make a name for myself. in a lot of different arenas. But the truth about me is I have spent most of my life trying to make a name for myself. But I want to spend the rest of my life resting and understanding the most important name that has been given to me. And that's son or daughter. I wonder if any of you want to take that journey with me. You can spend your life trying to make a name. Or you can begin to live out of the name that was already given you by your dad. Which one will it be? Hey, son, listen. Son, come get your you know exactly who I'm talking to. Come get your robe because you're exposed right now. You're dead spiritually right now. And shame is your constant companion and he wants to cover you. Come get it. He'll give you his righteousness for your unrighteousness. Come home. Come on. Daughter, you want somebody to put that ring on your finger? You've been waiting so long for somebody to put that ring on your finger. Can I tell you something? He already has. He already has. Understand what that ring means and what he's given you. It is the final word over you. It's the difference between power and authority. And it will change everything. Hey, anybody want to come get some shoes? Because you feel like a 15-year-old boy barefoot among the shards of glass in your life, and you're just too afraid to move. It's too much pain to move. He's bore the pain. And he offers you shoes. He wants you to be free, freer than you've ever been or could ever imagine being. Come get your shoes. Father, thank you for this moment in time. We are all homesick. For some, it's just low grade. For others, it is full blown. But we're beginning to understand that it is not a place. It is not achievement. It is you. 
and understanding a bit more of who you are and how you love this boy and how you covered him, how you restored him, how you granted him freedom. We want that. And today, could we come get what is ours? Could we run to you and be free? In Christ's name. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.